Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. The following podcast contains spoilers for No Time to Die, as well as some adult themes and language. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Sophie Gilbert. I'm a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, David Sims. Hello. And Shirley Lee. Hi. How are you guys? How is Sober October? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that a, should I be sober? Uh, I'm doing good. It's a thing that none of us are doing. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're talking bond today i feel like sobriety is not part of that picture yeah it's no, true absolutely well we are here to talk about no time to die the 25th james bond movie and the last and daniel craig's five installments um i want to start by saying this movie was originally planned for a november 2019 release and it has been mm-hmm. billed as the savior of cinemas post-pandemic what does bond mean that he's so big as a franchise that he is the character that can single-handedly save cinema um as much as the box office has been rebounding and people are going to see movies it's mostly been movies that appeal to younger men that's been the demographic that came back first so like seeing the superhero movies but bond has famously always pulled every demographic uh he's very popular with older women you know i am sorry to sound like a corporate executive right now but like this is definitely how uh studios think of bond you know my mom goes to see a james bond movie she's not going to see venom so there's the sort of eternal generational appeal you know like this is a uh 60 almost 60 year old character at this point right dr no is 1962 right mm-hmm. the americans are fools i offered my services they refused so did the east now they can both pay for their mistake world domination same old dream we've become so attuned to what makes a bond film a bond film and i was listening to i think one of the writers talk about this where it's just kind of like you can just have a man walk in and gaze at a car and in any other movie that would not be a moment that would get the audience going but in a bond film you kick in with the music and this is not any man this is not any car and you can get an assured reaction from the audience and i think that pretty much you know, says it all about what Bond means. That's such yes, a good point. An, an eternal brand. Bond. James Bond. I wanted to ask you guys, what were your hopes for this movie? What do you personally each enjoy about Bond movies? And did this deliver? Shirley, what did you think? Okay, I... <laughs> I will say that I was really nervous going into this Bond because I have loved the Daniel Craig movies. And the way they build this one as a swan song, I was expecting something to hit me emotionally and I wanted it to hit me emotionally. And yet when I walked out of the theater and I was hit emotionally, I was like, (laughs) why did you do that to me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, 
But here's the thing. I, I wanted this film to be emotionally satisfying. I wanted this film to deliver everything that I want from a Bond film, for it to feel classic, for it to be slick, for it to be tragic, and for it to feel big. And I think it did deliver that for me on all fronts. I have my small nitpicks that we don't have to get into at this moment. <laughs> but it did feel like a prestige picture. Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. I will say that the thing that I didn't know I wanted from it until I got it was a certain level of corniness. I think because mm. I'm an older millennial TM, um, I came of age <laughs> with the Roger Moore Bond movies. And so the kind of ludicrousness of those has always been like the defining Bond hallmark for me. And while I have loved the Craig series and their emotional arcs and their development of Bond as a character and their complication of him, they have been fairly serious especially <laughs> Skyfall was was pretty bleak and then Spectre everyone just seemed depressed like everyone in that movie seemed Whoa. very 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 down on life and on Bond like Daniel Craig sitting there in his Tom Ford sunglasses like the saddest man who's ever worn a suit and so what I loved from No Time to Die is that it seemed fun again and and silly like very very silly there's a giant evil lair in the middle of the ocean and there's henchmen and stupid plots that make no sense and weird uh people harvesting things with neon lights like i i really enjoyed all that i enjoyed that the series finally was was able to say like yes we have fundamentally transformed this character but at the same time we are acknowledging and honoring some of the things that made you enjoy him in the first place what did you think david well what i wanted from this movie most of all was right a satisfying bond finale for the character which has never happened i don't mm -hmm. think that's even really a hot take i think it's a fairly <laughs> frosty take to say that each actor in the role has exited on their worst movie like at least argue you know, like diamonds are forever if you do a kill mm -hmm. die another day like usually the whole thing with bond is sort of like the actor would do one too many. They'd seem a little tired in the role. Over the, it. the formula would seem a little uh, in need of a refresher. So it would always be like, all right, fine. All right, we understand now. Yes, it is time to move on. And that is what Spectre felt like. Spectre felt like they were sort of, you know, overreaching with the serialization, which had been kind of the hallmark of the Craig bond. And they were overreaching mm -hmm. with the sort of evolution of the character. And Craig didn't seem very into it, like you say. You know, they're so... My whole fear with Spectre was like, yep, it's just another one where we're going to sort of say goodbye to a good actor, but in a kind On of a, a damp, lame way. And I don't think this is a perfect movie. I was mostly just happy that it seemed like everyone sort of came to this one with a little more enthusiasm for like, okay, let's, let's try and do this a little more properly. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. Find so funny about Bond as a character, or well, maybe this is legend, but reportedly Ian Fleming wrote the character when he was about to get married to his pregnant girlfriend. Yes, his, part of his yeah. freak out because he was about to, I guess, give away his independence, and so to satisfy his, I don't know, impulses, he wrote this very <laughs> well, yes, Lotharian. <laughs> adventurous character <laughs> right that he was this actually kind of right this kind of quiet sort of retiring type and bond was his like raging id right like mm -hmm. he was pouring <laughs> all of this because fleming was pretty upfront like bond yes. is not exactly a sympathetic you know like it's all we you mm -hmm. know we like bond because he is 
He's a fantasy. Yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing that's so fascinating that you just mentioned that he he is a fantasy that people can universally enjoy. Like he is this sort of white male fantasy, like in the way that Bruce Springsteen is. But at the same time, you know, your mom David is going to see these movies, and and my mom is watching them, and we're all enjoying them. So like, what is it about this character that well, we are drawn to? I will say it's partly Daniel Craig. I mean, that's certainly mm-hmm. what drew my mother back to James Bond movies. Like, obviously, she's seen, like, Sean Connery movies and so. But, like, I do remember, like, she didn't have much interest in Pierce Brosnan. But Daniel Craig, his whole sort of, you know, more sort of fleshed out actory take versus the kind of familiar Bond was very intriguing. And I think it was intriguing to a lot of people. And obviously, starting with Casino Royale helps that because we actually have a starting point with this guy rather than he walks in the complete James Bond. He's, you know, Mm -hmm. he's the man we've always known, which is usually how these movies would do it because these movies would have the fear of like, we've recast the guy. We need to make the audience feel comfortable that this Mm -hmm. is still Bond. It's still the thing they like. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do some tweaks, but he needs to walk in. He needs to say his name in a certain way. He needs to order the right drink. He needs to, you know... And the Craig movies kind of thumbed their nose at that a little bit. And it was a really good gamble. Walk a martini. Chicken or stir. Do I look like I give a damn? The problem is I don't know what you do next. Because you can only have the shock of that once. Like, I, I don't know what the, the next reboot can be. I guess it would be not casting a white person. But I don't know <laughs> if that's what they'll do. I, don't, I have no idea. So in, in Britain, we love to gamble on, on this, on who will be the mm-hmm. next James Bond and the odds are forever changing. And, and um, I did check this morning to see and the favorite right now is Tom Hardy, seven to four. It's always Hardy. Followed right. by James Norton. Five, well, it, it was Tom Hiddleston for a while, actually. And then Reggae Jean Page is number three right now at five to two. He's which... been floating a lot. The thing with the bet, and I have a lot of opinions on British betting on James Bond. Uh, Hardy. <laughs> well, here's always, your time. To... <laughs> they, they always make the favorite someone who is a very similar profile to the current Bond. Like Hardy would be another Daniel Craig where it's like, yeah, we're casting a stouter, tougher guy with Oscar nominations and with a lot of sort of credibility, which is, that's the Daniel Craig movie. I mean, also, Tom Hardy's probably a little a little old for it at this point, which is, my guess, is why they won't do it. Throughout Brosnan, there had always been that, well, Clive Owen's the next Bond. Like, Clive Owen had been, like, anointed the guy who made sense. And then by the time they got around to it, he was a little old, and they passed him over. And, like, I feel like the whole time with Daniel Craig, people were like, well, Idris Elba, that's the guy who, yeah. you know, there's your next Bond, there's your update for the series. And now Idris Elba is, like you know, almost 50 and is sort of in public is like, I'm not going to be James Bond, you know? And it's sort of like, again, it's this weird thing of like, did a perfect guy kind of just sort of miss the window and like, there's nothing you can do about it. I, you know, like are those expectations part of it. I don't know. Uh, I mean, but that's cruel mother time. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing about bond though. It's like, it's malleable enough that we can imagine all these different possibilities for him. You know what I mean? Versus, you know, the other franchises, in contention where it's completely dependent on one person, say Tom Cruise, you know, to continue or dependent on one upping itself, like the Fast and Furious franchise. Well, my campaign is for Dev Patel. I've been campaigning for him for a long time. I think he is. He's everything. Hell yeah. 
Ooh, he's sort of the right level of famous where he's famous but he's not exactly going to overwhelm he's the right age he's like a different choice but he's mm-hmm. so handsome so handsome so handsome um do you guys think there is any chance that it will be lashana lynch that they would do something that radical to the franchise lashana lynch who i should say plays 007 in no time to right, die she plays the the replacement for she plays bond Nomi. after he retires yeah. The world's moved on, Commander Bond. You were double O. Two years. So stay in your lane. The thing with the Lashana Lynch character, I don't know what the plans are. And of course, this movie is a sensation, which might be, you know, maybe they want to spin her off or whatever. But the whole continuity around Craig feels done. Like, yeah. You know, Ben Wishaw and Ray Fiennes as M and, uh, you know, uh, Naomi Harris as Moneypenny and all. Like, it feels like they're probably going to need to get rid of all of it because they killed James Bond in this movie. And so it would be tough to have another person walking in and being like, well, I'm James Bond. Like, because <laughs> they sort of broke the, the unwritten rule, which I appreciate breaking that the rule. I think true. it's good to break rules. But I will also, point yes. out that Judy Dench was yeah, but they, in the Brosnan movies. They didn't kill Pierce Brosnan. He just yeah. walked no, off. but like, you have to suspend your disbelief enough to know that do. she... Is yes. the same character and yet in two totally different universe versions of the Bond Which story. is fun. Like, they, of course they can get away with it. But, like, I do mm-hmm. feel like having them gather and clink their glasses and say goodbye felt like the movie saying goodbye to all of them. I it's will also final. say Ben Wishaw has been pretty clear, like, I am not doing any more of these. Like, yeah. I think some of them are a little sick of it, which is also yeah. fun. Yeah, it did feel that way. But I do want to push back on it a little bit just because Bond has always been this parallel universe anyway, where Spectre is basically all of communism and you have Mm -hmm. Sean Connery donning yellow face and you only live twice and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... (laughs) And all of that now feels very dated and what has continued is the way he presents himself. That it's the look. It's Mm -hmm. that charisma. This guy who has to be cool and he's smart but he's the right kind of smart he's not a nerd he uses gadgets he (laughs) drives cool cars and uh the biggest thing that i think hollywood took out of bond was this avatar of masculinity and also the you know dark side of that I, i mean you can't talk about bond without talking about the way the bond girls were treated and that was the challenge that these films faced And Daniel Craig, I think, has not been one of the more womanizing Bonds. But there is that scene in Skyfall that I really hate and think about all the time with Berenice Marlowe's character, Severine, uh, Mm -hmm. where she works for Raoul Silver, who is probably the most terrifying Bond baddie of all time. And Bond follows her onto a boat, often knowing that she is a victim of sex trafficking and held prisoner by this terrible, awful man and then has sex with her. And then the next day she gets shot and dies. Like, that is sort of the canonical... Like, this is what happens to women in Bond movies. It's it's not it's not good. It's not progressive. It's not nice. And I think the movies took a lot of flack for that and have not made that mistake since, which is probably part, I mean, in addition to our modern times, is probably part of why there has been this emphatic push to sort of make Bond more thoughtful in that regard. Yeah, and I think Craig himself has also come out and said that Bond is misogynistic, right? And yeah, yeah. and I yeah. think Kerry Fuganaga, the the director, he didn't he say something where he was like the Sean Connery Bond was quote basically a rapist. So, where's yes. the lie? Yeah, behave yourself, Mr. Bond. 
Anna de Armas' character, Paloma, who, by the way, I think is one of my favorite new Bond heroines of all time. That whole sequence, things could so easily have a bum note to them, like, uh, and the sequence is Bond meets up with this, you know, drop dead gorgeous agent who's kind of bubbly and is new or at least presenting herself as sort of like, I'm just out of training. And you're you're (laughs) like, oh, is this going to be like the classic kind of like klutzy female character who in lieu of a personality, she's just sort of falling over. There's a young lady in Santiago I want you to meet. You're late. When you're ready. And then, of course, she turns out to be, like, incredibly uh, competent and sort of in tune with Bond. They kind of have this big action sequence where it's almost like they're dancing together the whole time, right? They just sort of, like, each understands where the other one's supposed to be. and, And it's flirtatious and it's sexy without it just being like a sex scene without without it just being bond like hitting on another you know of the many 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 ladies that he's he's hit on over the years and it ends with her being like that's my cue i gotta go instead of you know dying tragically to prove some point or you know it just sort of like navigates this sort of complicated way to modernize around this dinosaur character i think you're a sexist misogynist dinosaur a relic of the cold war I wanted to go back to the early days because I think we think a lot about the Bond movies and their influence upon each other. What has their influence been on Hollywood writ large? Like, I know we think of things like Moonraker as being kind of reactive to other trends in cinema, but particularly with the early movies, like what did they do to, to film, to cinema? I think they're the most influential action movies ever made. I don't know how really? you feel. Surely, surely are you a Connery person? Yeah. <laughs> Especially from Russia with... Lo- my. I think I made this argument to you, Sophie, but like from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, which are back to back, that's the second and third mm. Connery movies. Those are the two sides of Bond movies one is sort of quite realistic and really a spy thriller and more character focused and it was specter who killed the russian agent in the mosque and the other is more goofy and has lots of fun and gadgets and odd job and lasers do you expect me to talk no mr bond i expect you to die put that all together and that's like what people like out of james bond just in terms of how they like combine like travel you know set pieces that are in different places like sort of try to find innovative ways to uh, choreograph fights and gunfire and car chases air all that stuff like they they just sort of set the tone for how hollywood made action even though they're british uh but uh you know after the connery bonds which sort of set the tone right bond has always sort of been playing catch up like the first more movie right is very i live and let die is very inspired by like black exploitation movies uh mm-hmm. moonraker was this response to star wars four your eyes only was them being like okay no one liked moonraker let's which moonraker is fun uh, I like no, moonraker. No, yeah moonraker is good but like they were like oh the moonraker too goofy let's go back to basics timothy dalton it's like oh it's a darker bond it's sort of influenced by batman pierce brosnan well let's have M call him a sexist dinosaur but you know basically have him behave the same way (laughs) as he always has and then the checks start rolling in from BMW and Nokia and stuff and then and eventually fans are like enough of that and they're like okay okay less of it you know (laughs) it's this constant push and pull and like you say I don't know you know the crate let's make a more emotional bond let's make a bond with a story let's make a bond who actually allows himself to be vulnerable by the end of his arc and then you know dies in a big explosion uh, I don't know what you give people next. I mean, to be fair to Pierce Brosnan's Bond, 
He was sad for about one minute when Terry Hatcher dies and Tomorrow Never Dies. Well, he's sad because they had no chemistry and he's like, I never got to have chemistry with her. God, Tomorrow Never Dies is an interesting movie that is more relevant than I think people thought it was going to be, right? Oh, sure. Because it got this sort of Rupert Murdoch villain and it's about geopolitics and China and like things like that. But then, like, Terry Hatcher comes in, and it's like, oh, this is Bond's great love. And I'm like, have they met before? Like, <laughs> I, have a lot of Tom, I have a lot of Tomorrow Never Dies specific complaints. Uh, yeah. That's all. <laughs> Actually, I would love to hear them all. We can have a separate yeah. episode just on Tomorrow Never Dies. But no, no, no. It, it, it's fascinating. Bond has been emotional before, but it just never felt earned, you know? I mean, we can talk about the Lazenby Bond, who... Right, he he ends on Her Majesty's Secret Service, like you know, mm-hmm. pretty much crying because uh, Diana Rigg Diana Rigg has di- died. Yeah. Well, that movie is hurt by, by Lazenby. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of that movie. I think it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I think Peter R. Hunt was a genius. But uh, it, I mean, it would be so good if that was Connery's sixth Bond movie, yes. and it was like, oh, we're actually going to finally have him marry someone versus just moving on and then it'll be more tragic, you know. Whereas mm-hmm. with Lazenby, you can kind of just compartmentalize that movie. Yeah. And it so it didn't quite have the same, yeah. And Lazenby already had like a foot out the door, right? Like he was like, "Oh, I don't want to do this again." It, <laughs> it's a fascinating story. He was a total mm-hmm. nobody. Mm-hmm. He he went to Sean Connery's barber before his screen <laughs> test and was like, cut my hair like Sean Connery. And he was like, that's how I got the role, which you're like, that is? That's how you got the role? Wow. And then he like didn't like making it that much. And his agent was like, eh, James Bond isn't cool anymore. And he was like, all right, I'm out of here. Like, it's it's Did the his- weirdest one movie <laughs> arc ever. It just, he became the weird butt of jokes george Mm -hmm. you know it's like you know oh bond everyone has their favorite except for george lasman he's not bad it's just the impossible task of following up you know the first ever actor in the role i I don't don't i don't know possible he was about as wooden as a bookcase in that he's not great he's 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 this never happened to the other fellow he also spends so much of the movie wearing an Austin Powers outfit. He's got the yes, lace collar. And so that I think Austin Powers hurts that movie a lot. Yeah. Um, which just satirized it so perfectly that you almost forget <laughs> what's what. <laughs> and I, and I, I really did laugh in No Time to Die when Q had a hairless cat because it just seemed like such a perfect nod to Dr. Evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look what you did to Mr. Brigglesworth! <laughs> So in addition to, you know, paying tribute to all the Bond movies of old, we're also paying tribute to the movies that ruthlessly mocked them. But it was hard because Austin Powers came out after GoldenEye. Everything that the Bond movies did after that felt so absurd. I mean, and it maybe would have done on its own, but also it it really didn't help that they were standing in contrast to this merciless mocking. I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. You know, we're talking about how much pressure that someone like Lazenby had coming in, stepping after the first Bond. And you look at the way Daniel Craig has... I mean, maybe this is just me. I felt like he was weightless in the role. Like, from the first scene in Casino Royale, I was like, oh, I... I'm down. Like, (laughs) I think this guy's got it. I've never gotten the sense that he was under a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, he was obviously behind the scenes, but on screen, he never let that come across. And I think that that is something that was really impressive about I, I mean, him. I seeing Casino Royale, it came out when I was in college. I had, I, we, you know, we were all there 
in Newcastle. Shout out Newcastle upon Tyne. You know, I'm I don't with know my friend. I'm kidding. <laughs> Northern England. I, I'm with my friend Alex, who is, I would say, a very reserved English person. And, you know, I think everyone was both a little worn out on Bond because of the Brosnan, mm-hmm. and, you know, because of Die Another Day. And then there'd been all this fuss about Daniel Craig not making sense. And that opening scene, you know, the black and white mm-hmm. prologue where he kills the agent and he's... In the bathroom. Uh, yeah! So cool. And then he spins around, right? The guy's going to shoot at him and you go to the gun barrel. And you're like, dude, And I remember my friend, like, grabbing my arm. Like, my my very... Like, grabbing my arm and going, like, it was... We were all just, like, immediately on board. Like, it was such a moment. Everyone was just like, this is... Of course, he's perfect. Why would we ever doubt it? Like, you know, it was such a... It is a cinema moment I remember very fondly, seeing Casino Royale for the first time. The one thing that I really, really, really love about that movie more than anything else is the relationship between Bond and Vesper and Eva Green. Mm -hmm. So smoking hot. Their chemistry is Ah. insane. Uh, The scene when they're in the shower together, that sounds dirty, but it's not because they're both fully closed. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's traumatized because she's just seen him brutally murder a man. But it's just, they, they are such a fundamentally brilliant screen pairing in that they just smoke up the screen. And I think you and I are aligned on this, David. It has made it a little harder to accept Madeleine Swann in later movies as the great love of Bond's life. Just because you and I and maybe Bond 2 cannot move on from Vesper. Well, and the movies kind of can't. Obviously, this movie, the first Bond set piece, he visits Vesper's grave at Madeleine's urging. She's trying to get him past Vesper, but it Mm -hmm. is sort of funny where it's like, we, the audience, are also like, ah, Vesper, now there was Bond's great love. <laughs> like, you know. And it's sort of hard to deny it. And I, Lea Seydoux is a very, very, very talented and appealing actress. And she, I think, does her best. And it's not like she and Craig, do, you know, they're two very attractive people. They've got chemistry. But like, mm-hmm. like you said, you, you're just, you're never really going to buy it as like, these two they finally found each other and like it makes i don't know you know they're, they're okay but it's it's tough to get over vesper <laughs> what did you think shells justice for i you? mean i think the problem here was specter what yes. part of the problem sure is that eva green is incredible i mean i could also just like yeah. pile on on this where it's like that their chemistry <laughs> is just off the charts right but i do think what specter did in its introduction of leia seydoux as madeline swan really hurt that character and that was something that you could not get rid of my name is uh, dr madeline swan our job today is to analyze your needs both psychological and physical that's pretty straightforward the scene where she meets bond versus the scene where vesper meets bond i'm the money every penny of it Inspector, it is just this coldness. The character is supposed to be enigmatic. But in making her such a mystery, you don't have this crackling chemistry right off the bat. And I think that really hurt that relationship. And so then what this film had to do, well, it kind of had to start off by really exploring who Madeline is. That's why the cold open is about her. Mm -hmm. And then you have to really, you know, make it the most romantic thing you've ever seen. The two of them driving in this car, her just looking at his face, like calling back to, you know, (laughs) oh, him enjoying the view. Like, it's just, it's so romantic. And it's like this, you can almost feel the movie kind of straining to be like, no, 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 no. Replace your first impression of the two of these people with this (laughs) that's such a good point i hadn't thought about it it really is striving (laughs) bond has 
I, I, I'm not trying to be rude, but he has he has better chemistry in this film with Ana de Armas. He has better chemistry in this film with Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter, who comes back as well for like a little send off. And those two, you're like, oh, God, this is a real relationship, you know, like immediately because they're two good actors who obviously like the dynamic. I need a favor, brother. You're the only one I trust for this. The other problem that Madeline Swan has, and she had this problem in Spectre, is she's so bound up in the plot of the film, a lot of the sort of story stakes just have to run through her, much like yes. last time where she's the daughter of Mr. White, you know, a sort of previous villain and all that, that a lot of her time on screen is just sort of like invested in that business. And so it's just a little deadening. It's just a little less exciting. Oh, I'm like wringing you my hands. can't top Eva Green. You know, <laughs> what you can't top Eva Green? Like no one's arguing that you can, really. Well, she's, she's just not there anymore. <laughs> The one thing that you can do, which is is what they did do, which is the movie's ultimate revelation that not only is Madeline Swan the great love of Bond's life, she is also dun 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 the mother of his child. <laughs> he has a daughter, the great. He has a Lothario. daughter with very piercing blue eyes. Piercing. He can do tweets now as a hashtag father of daughters. Um, <laughs> but it, it did seem kind of ironic and, and befitting that this character who is so mistreated possibly women in the past mm-hmm. now now very fleetingly gets to know that he has a child i mean i should say too that uh david you and i both had daughters in the last 18 mm-hmm. months and mostly That's in the movie true. i was just laughing thinking about all the way that my daughter would absolutely like screw up rami malik's japanese letter <laughs> if she were that. she'd just be like smashing things honest the daughter's <laughs> best moments and- Mm-hmm. are her dropping her toy and never shutting up about it. And yes. that weird yeah. sort of moment where she's like, do you think mosquitoes have brothers or whatever? It's just like, <laughs> where in, initially you're like, is this going to tie into the plot? And then you're like, no, this is just sort of realistic child nonsense dialogue where they're just kind of babbling away. I don't, my whole thing with giving a superhero or an enduring character like this a kid is it's basically never going to go over that well with, you know, the diehard fans, right? Because they have to sort of stay the same. Like I remember when they gave Superman a kid in Superman Returns, that wasn't popular either. But the real problem is, to me, it just sort of signals like this is a one-off, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. not, we're not going to have another James Bond movie where he's like at the beginning has to like drop his kid off at daycare and is like, okay, I'm off to, you know, (laughs) Azerbaijan or what, you know, like it just like wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So I, I don't mind the, again, the sort of, deeper point of it all which is to deepen this character and deepen craig and his performance and all that which i guess is sort of the takeaway but uh yeah i i you know she's a a little bit of a story prop she's cute she's very cute she has questions about mosquitoes this is where i'm kind of like yeah i guess she's kind of a prop but i also don't mind it because i don't want this story to just be oh now that He's a father to a daughter. He will do X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Right. That's that's well, the, that's the problem is making it that straightforward. Yeah. I, I will the slightly push back against that only to say mm-hmm. that the moment when I realized that he was absolutely going to die at the end of this movie was the moment when <laughs> Rami Malek sorry. crushed the vial of, I'm sorry, we haven't even gotten into this, the, the we don't have to get into the in his hand okay. that were tailored to his DNA, thus cursing Bond to never be able to touch or even kiss the love of his life and his child. And that was the moment when it really seemed like, okay, you, this is over because there's no coming yeah. back from that. Like, yeah, Once not, you get the pushing daisies problem. Right. He has never, this orphan who has 
longed apparently in his heart for a family has now found them and had them ripped from him within the space of about half an hour and so right this is it for him and so i think it it gave it a nice like poetic finality for me right i actually did not think they'd have the guts to kill bond off and i thought right well okay this will end with craig as bond walking off into the sunset to an extent right you know he'll actually sort of come full circle so yeah, there were definitely two options for how to do this, and they they went for the more final option. Yeah, in talking about the chemistry, though, I did get more emotional watching Q say goodbye and mourn Bond than I did right. watching. Yes, Bond he has a better Bond yes. with him. Yes, it was well, devastating. Bond with Bond. Seeing Q, Q cry. Out. Oh, Q is one of Q is one of my nitpicks with this film. Oh, say more. Q is my underrated Bond king. And <laughs> do you mean Ben Wishaw is Q specifically, or do you mean the character in I mean, general? I mean the I mean the character of Q. Ben Wishaw is wonderful. I, I do enjoy his performance, and I do think that going with a younger Q is a really great call. They have you know different perspectives about technology and gadgetry and et cetera, et cetera. But we leave Q's final interaction with Bond just like cut short because Bond has to talk to you know Madeline and his child, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, it, and it ends with Q calling himself an idiot. <laughs> But, I recognize you know, this is a shallow take. I just, <laughs> I want more for you. I think Kerry Joji Fukunaga is still going to sleep at night if that's your nickname. Yeah, <laughs> okay, like, good, 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 Q, good. Q is obviously always played by Desmond Llewellyn basically for mm-hmm. a, a bajillion years. We all know who Q was, right? He he endured through pretty much all the way to Brosnan. And then John Cleese took it for a, a brief and ill-advised moment <laughs> uh, for dying of the day. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Um and so Q's the one where Ben Wishaw, who's you know enormously overqualified for the role, obviously he is like a stratospheric British talent, like he always has been. It's kind of jarring to imagine Q is like a real person and not just someone who like just sort of stands yeah. frozen in a lab until James Bond enters the yeah. room and he's like, all and, right, here's how the watch works, you silly man. And, and not just stands uh, frozen know. in a lab. Q. Like like Sean Connery like rolls his eyes at Q, right? Q's the old... Right nerd and i just mm-hmm. feel so much for q he leads q branch he has to create all this crap for this guy <laughs> this child this, this, this overqualified child who never brings things. a car back never ever never ever brings brought the a car single back. car back the moment I mean, you see a car you know yeah. it's going q's not gonna like this the best the best <laughs> q bit is when Brosnan's like, what's this with the, the big sub sandwich? Don't touch that. It's my lunch. It's just like, oh, Q's always the punchline. And they've developed this Q to a point where there's so much emotion between these two characters and you feel it. And then Q calls himself an idiot. And I'm like, no, Q. You're not an idiot. Yeah, be nicer to yourself. So that's Q. your nitpick. And that is well. One of he's my making picks. dinner for a date. You know, he yeah, has a little yeah. again, a little little bit of an internal life in this. Yes, and, uh, and of course movie, they crash his date. I mean, they crash his date. That that's one of my nitpicks. My other one is not as shallow. I, I would like to see future Bond films present villains who are not scarred mm-hmm. so heavily that it becomes this. It you know, it's coded as right. yeah, 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 yeah. It's I, I mean, Deformity. this is something that has certainly carried itself from the original films up to this point where it's like we could really rethink the look of villains so that they're not just scarred and deformed and we code that it, as it, negative it, and beastly a classic yeah. ian fleming thing he mm-hmm. loved he loved a scarred villain obviously le chiffre right he's got mm-hmm. the eye i'm t- yeah. just thinking of the, the the craig villains um yeah but uh i remember christopher Macquarie, who's directed the recent mission impossible films talking mm-hmm 
in a interview about one of his approaches to making those movies is he goes to the trailer makers, the people who make trailers, and it's like, what kind of imagery do you want that would sell this movie? I will crowbar it into the film and then I get to do whatever I want around it. And they would give him lines like you know like they'd be like well you should have like a woman's leg coming out of a car you should have a villain with a, a facial deformity things like that like oh. it's this shorthand that is baked into spy movies that, uh, that yes fun. it might be it yeah. might be good to move past yeah it's just so, kind of like a lot of the shorthand that you have seen that's baked into bond movies we've moved past right i, I mentioned the, the, the yellow face of you only live twice it's, it's, it's so <laughs> insane that, it's yeah. so insane and you only live twice because it's racist but also because it's supposed to work like oh, sean connery's like i'm plausibly like, no. obviously <laughs> japanese and you're like what no you're not <laughs> anyway sorry but but you also uh, but but the films have also moved past you know when, when he just forces himself onto on a black pussy man. galore <laughs> goldfinger right like <laughs> and also, she's like, supposed to be a lesbian. In a that lesbian, movie. yes, yes. She, so not only does he assault her, in the but book, he, also... he fully converts her. Right? Like, oh there's this yeah, very yeah, Creepy yeah, yeah. vibe to it, right? Yes, Quote unquote. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's real creepy. And so it's like the films have moved past X and Y, and like, it, but just like, oh, villain must have facial deformity. Like, it, it's yeah. like, oh, really? I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. Geopolitically, too, Bond has always been the symbol of, like, British power, which, you know, I think Mm -hmm. we can all admit is waning these days. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, budget cuts. He's not going to have... He's going to have, like, a Ford Focus, like Daniel Craig in the beginning of Casino Royale in the next movie. There's no money for an Aston now. Uh, Spectre alludes to it a little bit with the Five Eyes program Five as eyes. in That's like true. Right. power right. now yeah. is something that has to be won sneakily and i would argue that ray finds his m to mallory in developing the i can't even say it because it's the nanobot uh, the nanobot Heracles, technology right, or, I can't right. there's called. there's a kind of inherent insecurity involved in that like britain doesn't have the power that it used right. to and that's, so we must develop nanobots to kill people quietly that's the good take skyfall kind of has that too where m reads the tennyson yeah. right where but like all tinged with the sort of like look we're making our exit on the world stage yeah. or are we right you know like that's, there's that that's great scene of, with q yeah. <laughs> where, where there's <laughs> what happened with q now <laughs> yeah where bond Surely. and q are sitting in the, in the where, where bond and q are sitting in the museum and they're looking at that painting and yeah. q is like look at that the big ship it's a turnip <laughs> being taken away. <laughs> Always makes me feel a little melancholy. Grand old warship being ignominiously hauled away for scrap. And you're like, oh my God, Q is so smart. <laughs> I never knew you had all these feelings about Q. <laughs> Hello, Q, I've missed you. Um, so we are coming to a close. But f- before we do, I wanted to ask you guys, what recommendation games do you want to play? Theme song? Ooh. Oh, best Bond song. Absolutely. Yes. That's sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, what is your pick for best and worst Bond theme song? Worst. Worst is harder than best. <laughs> worst is really hard. <laughs> I think. No, no, I think worst is easy. I think it's Chris Cornell. You know my name. Oh. Disagree. Love that song. <laughs> it's just not very That Bondy. song rules. I mean, no, it's I mean, the, fine. The, the Sam Smith song, which... Absurdly oh, won Oscar. That's what I was, was a tough of. one. Those we're, we're now we're just doing worse. I mean, what are some other bad ones? They're mostly good. I mean, I kind of have a soft spot for most of them. My best would be 
the world is not enough by garbage. Oh, that's your best by garbage. I think, the I world think is not enough. enough. I think it's seductive. It's I think it is exactly mm-hmm. what that film needs, even if it's the. That's your pick for best. I know there are that's a wild classics, pick. but I'm gonna swerve as we've been talking about. I, I, I think that of falls. the Brazen songs, I really like Goldeneye. Goldeneye is like sort of. A I was good, gonna say Goldeneye, like one foot in each. Like let's do a Shirley Bassey ballad, but you know mm-hmm. it's a little updated, and it has that dun 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 dun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, listen, great. it just it just uh, felt too obvious to choose a Shirley Bassey. A Shirley Bassey, but I mean, Live and Let Die. That's my favorite. Paul McCartney and Wings. That song is so symphonic and over the top and charming. And the weird like intro is so good. I love Live and Let Die. I, I, you know, the Shirley Bassey ones are great. I, you know, I think You Only Live Twice is great. Mm-hmm. Nancy Sinatra. But I, I don't know what my favorite Shirley Bassey is. What's your favorite Shirley? Probably Goldfinger. Yeah. Goldfinger is a classic. I'm going to really throw out a couple. My favorite is All Time High by Rita Coolidge. Um, wow, from, from Octopussy. Octopussy which they decided not I to have a song called Octopussy. I love. I can't believe we haven't mentioned it before. It is a fantastic movie. It has Fabergé eggs. It yeah, has it's a fun elephants. Movie. It has. I like the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure problematic scenes that I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Rule Thunderball. Thunderball by Tom Jones, where the last note he holds it for so long that he apparently like passed out in the studio <laughs> and also the lyrics make no sense at all he's like and he strikes like thunderball and you're like he what, what? what does that mean <laughs> well speaking of making like, no sense ah! i mean skyfall uh, and then we stumble and we stand tall and face mm-hmm. it all together what are you yeah, that's what you it's about. Tall? you yeah, can't do both it's about how you get knocked down but you get up again Oh, okay. Just like Jumble Wumba. Yes. <laughs> Jumble Wumba should have done a <laughs> Yeah, that's my wow. recommendation for the next pod. <laughs> yeah, Jumble Wumba, bring them back. Yeah. We um, didn't even mention the Billie Eilish song, which is like pretty good kind good. of a Skyfall vibe, you know, slow ballady. Yeah. She's exactly the right kind of voice to do a Bond song, I think. Like, yeah. Very, very mellifluous. Well, on that note, that does it for the show, I think. It has been so fun talking about Bond with you two. This episode of The Review was produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. Our art is by Charlie Le Mignon. I'm Sophie Gilbert. Thank you, Shirley and David. Thank you. Thank you. The Review will return. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley loves cute. <laughs>